0: For the past eight weeks, I have been preaching a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. And today, we are on the Eighth Commandment. And during the Christmas season, I'm taking that respective commandment and using it as a lens or a window to look at the Christmas event and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And today, that's what I'm going to do with the Eighth Commandment. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for your wisdom and insight. As we appreciate your character and how you have given us Christ, our Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. It's in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus and also in chapter 5 of the book of Deuteronomy that the Eighth Commandment is mentioned. You know this commandment in English when it says, You shall not steal. In the Hebrew, it's very brief. It's only two brief words. Basically, if you want to put it in English, you would say it, you'd call it this way don't steal. That's the eighth commandment. Today, what I want to do in my approach to this is threefold. First, I want to explain to you what this commandment assumes as a given. Secondly, how this commandment encourages giving. And thirdly, what I want to do is explain how this commandment highlights the gift of Jesus Christ. Let's first talk about what this commandment assumes as a given. What it means by when you say something like that, it's already a given is something that is presupposed, something that is pre existing. So, what is the basis of the fact for saying, You shall not steal. First of all, what it's a given is this. What it's given or what it's assuming, it assumes that there are things that do not belong to you. Or it's not a right for you to have either ever, or it's not a right for you to have right now. You may have to wait on it, or you may have to acquire that possession In a certain way. This is a full range of what is assumed with the fact that it says, do not steal. What this corrects is what I would call the infant mindset or the entitlement mindset. Think about it an infant thinks that they're entitled to everything. They look at the world and they want it all and they want it now. Okay? Well, people sometimes don't outgrow that. And they think that way about everything. Whatever you have, they want. They want it now. They want to have it however, by whatever means. Well, do not steal stops the infant mindset. It, it forms maturity, meaning it helps a person grow out of that entitlement or infant mindset. Secondly, here's another assumption or a, a particular given that is given for this thou shalt not steal commandment. Secondly, it assumes this. That there is such a thing as private property and personal property. What this corrects, this whole commandment, what it corrects is the philosophy of Karl Marx. Karl Marx came in the 1800s and he imagined a world that had no cash. Because you wouldn't have to buy anything because there would be no private property. There would be no personal property, no personal possessions. Every single item, your clothes and your food, was a community item, and there was nothing personal that belonged to the individual. This is what we would call communism. Well, obviously the one thing that owns everything in that kind of world is the government. So whenever this commandment comes in saying, do not steal, it assumes that there are personal things or personal property that belongs to individuals and you cannot steal from those people. Thirdly, and this, here's my final assumption that this commandment is teaching us, is that this commandment assumes, whenever it says, you shall not steal, it assumes that you should be considerate and respectful of what belongs to another person. Um, if you're going to not steal from it, you're going to respect it and be considerate of it. Now, this is how I want to transition now to explain to you how this commandment encourages giving. What I've done in the past several weeks, we've looked at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is a commentary on the Ten Commandments. And there's a section of Deuteronomy that deals with the Eighth Commandment. And what I'm going to do for you today is give you a very brief explanation of a few cases in which Moses is applying the Eighth Commandment. And I want you to hear a repetitive word of my explanation. It's the word giving. This is how Moses is applying a practical way of the Eighth Commandment. Number one, and it starts, you can look at this later in your spare time, but it starts in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15 and following. Here's several cases. Number one, do not steal means this. It means you give to the well-being of those in distress. Moses gives a case where if there was a master mistreating his servant and the servant that other man's servant runs into your property for refuge, Moses is telling the Israelites at that time to take care of that other man's servant. You cannot mistreat him. Like, you, like the other man mistreated him. You cannot oppress that servant to, that runs to you for refuge. You are to give to him consideration and respect and well-being. Number two, do not steal. In Moses' time period, it means this. You do not give to the Lord an earning or a tithe that comes from immorality. If there was a woman, Moses talks about this, if there was a woman who was earning a living with a very immoral lifestyle, God would not accept her money, her offering, her tithes in the tabernacle. Number three, here's another case. If your brother comes to you and is in need for a charitable loan, you are to give him that loan, but you could not charge your brother interest on that loan. Number four, here's another application of do not steal. It means that whenever you make a promise or a vow to the Lord that you're going to give to the Lord something, then you cannot delay in giving it whenever you have that vow accomplished or whenever you have the means to. You are to give it immediately when you have that possession, if you make that vow. Fifthly, and here's a fifth application of this standard that Moses talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 23. If a neighbor kind of walks through your property to go to the other side and he's walking through your vineyard and he sees some pretty grapes, well, you are to give him some grapes this way. He can go and eat some grapes off your vine and fill his stomach with your grapes. But he cannot fill his pockets and he cannot fill his container. You're to share a little bit. That's how you're not stealing from your neighbor, you're actually giving to your neighbor. That's called a gleaning law in the Old Testament. Another aspect, a, a sixth con, a case that Moses applies this commandment, is to a woman who has went through two divorces in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And Moses' commandment basically is this: that you have to give respect, or respect that woman in a respectful manner in their time. After she has gone through two divorces, if you show disrespect to her in a certain way, then you're stealing from her. That's the context there. Seventhly, I got two more just to share with you before I get to Christmas. okay? but the seventh one is this. If someone owes you money and you want to say, I want a pledge from you, I want something, a collateral. You cannot go and get their their source of food and hold it for collateral or hold it for a pledge. In this case it's a millstone. A millstone was used to make grain and make bread, and Moses says, "You cannot go get his millstone and hold it for a pledge if he owes you something because that's his life. That's the source of his life, his food." So God is limiting the way in which the the big get bigger. He's limiting the way in which you these people who have things, he does not want them to oppress the poor or oppress people. Otherwise, they'll be stealing from these people. Lastly, let me m- mention this. and This is a good application to our civil government. God says if if there's anyone who is a kidnapper, if anyone steals another person, that kidnapper is to be put to death. That's a very practical application that when you see the severity and the the giving of respect to life and to the innocent victims, we should encourage our civil government to put kidnappers to death, the death penalty. That's a very appropriate application even today. So let's move on now. As you see, this list of commandments and how he's applying the stealing, the thou shalt not steal commandment in the Old Testament, it's about giving. It's about being generous. So how does this commandment, It it gives you a window into the heart of God. The fact that God is a giving God. God is not a stealing God. This gives you insight into into the incarnation, and that is the Christmas event. How does this commandment highlight the gift of Christ? Number one is this. God has always been giving ever since day one. When you look at creation in Genesis chapter 1, God is giving and giving. An act of creation is a gift of God. And the birth of Christ is an overflow. It's an overflow of God, the Creator. Yes, He's the Redeemer. But also, it's an overflow of His creation in this sense that He is creating something Brand new here in all of history. That is, he is taking humanity, a, a piece of flesh, humanity, human nature, and he's adding it to his son, to God the son. So number one, in Christmas, you see that God is continuing to give as he is always given starting in day one of creation. Number two, here's another application of this. Because of the Holy Trinity, God both, He gives both a possession of what belongs to Him. At the same time, He gives Himself. Let me explain what I mean by this. When you understand the Holy Trinity, which is this. There is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does the Son of God Relate to God the Father? Well, we say this in Christianity. He's begotten of His Father. That means the Son belongs to the Father. So in this sense, the Son of God has been given to us. The Son of God belongs to His Father and the Father has given His Son to us. So in that sense, God the Father has given us His Possession, what belongs to Him. At the same time, Jesus is not simply the Son of God. This is very important. Jesus is also God, the Son. He is fully God, just as much as the Father is fully God and the Spirit is fully God. So whenever God, the Son, comes down, this is God's way of giving Himself. This is why the Trinity is so important. It's not just simply that God is giving something that belongs to Him. Like, oh, you know, here's my phone. It belongs to me. You can have it. Or here's my son. You can have him. He belongs to me. It's, it's a possession, but also it's the person. It's the gift and the giver coming together in the Christmas gift. That's how great of the magnitude of Christmas is. God is giving himself to you. Thirdly, let me mention this. When you think about the Trinity and the fact that it's not simply the Son of God, but also God the Son who has been given to us, Christmas reminds you of this, that God gives you the best he can give. Think of that. I choose my words specifically here. God gives you the best he can. That he can give. It means this, that God can't give you anything better on Christmas. What does that mean? What do we mean? Well, think of this. What is better than God? In all of creation, what is better than God? Nothing is better than God. If God is going to give you the best that he can give you, what is it going to be? It's going to be himself. In all of his beauty, in all of his glory, in all of his his majesty and everything. All those words you want to add to it. If God is going to give you the best, he has to give you himself. And that's what we see in Christmas. And that's what we see how good God is. God's intent is to give you the best. Now. I want you to think about this. When you think about the theology of Christmas and what God has given, I want you to make the application to your life by saying this. This is the quote that I want you to say to yourself over and over and over, and this is it. What God has given to me throughout my life has been the best for me. Think of that. Christmas, God gives you the best. He can give. Throughout your life, God has given the best for you. You may want to challenge this. You may want to think, wait, 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 wait. All the things I've gone through, all that I've seen, all that I've suffered, are you saying that God has given, that that's the best for me? All that God has intended and all that God has meant for you, yes, God has given you the best for you. I want you to ask why. Why, Pastor? Why can I say that everything that I've received is actually the best that there could be for my life? And the answer is this. Because your God is not a God who steals. Your God is a God who gives. Your God is a God who says, this is what you need. And this is what I want to give to you. Your God's character is revealed in Deuteronomy. He is concerned that people are giving to other people. And that's the heartbeat of your living God. That's why it's impossible for God to steal. It's impossible for God to take something from you wrongly. Remember what Jesus said? It is Satan who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It is God's character to give. So yes, there may be hard times. There are hard times where Satan comes and steals. Satan comes and kills, seeks to destroy and all that. But what does God do in response to Satan's thievery? God gives and gives and gives and he outgives the devil. Whatever Satan may take from your life, God outgives. God is the one who supplies. And all that gift in the micro little world of your life, it comes down as a result of Christmas. Because that's whenever Jesus Christ came to save the world, to pay for our sins, to conquer the reign of sin and death, to claim His victory over all this world. Satan tried to steal the world from God and rule over it. In Genesis chapter 3, God says, no, no, that's mine. I'm not going to let you steal it from me. He sends Jesus to conquer that world, to retrieve it back so that he can now give you the best in your life. This is the source of contentment. When you look at a scan of your life and you realize I have the best because God is a giving God and he's going to give his best to me. And if you struggle to say this, you can say this at least. One day I'll understand that. You may be in an intense moment of pain where you can't say that right now verbally. But mentally, you can tell yourself, one day, I'll be able to look back and see how God's hand was giving, even in this hardship, even in this pain. Satan may have stolen in that moment, but God intervened and worked it out so that he would give good in the end. That's how giving God is. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, it goes all the way to the Christmas event, and it trickles down even in your life, because your God is not a God who steals, but a loving, gracious, generous, giving Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you will strengthen us in your character. Strengthen us, Lord, to reflect your image in our relationship to others. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will give us the generosity of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, your generosity will spill out even in our life. And in in the times of difficult providence, we pray, Heavenly Lord, that you will grip us in the grace of your giving hand, that you will help us to realize that even though the enemy will come to steal and kill, you come to give and to make life anew. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your redeeming grace in this Christmas season. Amen.